Good morning, One Chapel. So glad that you've joined us for church online today. Such a great time to worship together. And we just finished 21 days of prayer. And I'm so grateful for so many of you who have joined with us to pray and to fast, to join us in our Facebook devotionals and, and to share the stories. There's stories that people are sharing about stuff that happened. Last Sunday, I heard about a lady that we prayed for in one of our services, and we prayed for people to be healed. We, 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 I asked if people needed healing in their physical bodies. We prayed over people, and she had a problem with her foot, a tendon that was swollen, and it was, it was very painful. And so she'd been walking on on Friday and Saturday, and by Sunday, it was just really painful. She's standing in, in church, and she raises her hand for prayer. People pray for her, and immediately the the pain starts to lessen. By the end of the service, pain had lessened so much they went and walked around, did some things on Sunday afternoon, and the pain just kept going down and going away by Monday morning. She was totally free, went on a big long walk on Monday morning. God is a healer, and I just think we should rejoice. You should hit those emojis. You should smash those hearts, and we should really just thank God for what he does when he intervenes in our lives. There's a, another story that I just heard about, and it was with our worship leader, Wesley Lunsford, and his wife, Steph, Stephanie. She, her and him, we're, they're foster parents, and their family has kept foster kids over the last few years, and they had a little girl who was with them and lived with them for a while and then got taken back into her family situation, which was very, very bad. It was a very difficult situation and not good for her at all. So they just were kind of heartbroken over it. It was very difficult for them to process through as they went through this thing. And when we hit 21 days of prayer, they just, they knew that this situation wasn't good. So Steph said to Wesley, as the story goes, as I understand it, she said, I think I want to, I think I want to press in on this. Let's pray for God to do something miraculous to get her out of that family situation because it's not good. And so they started praying. They solicited other people to pray for her. And some incredible things happened that I, that I can't share and they shouldn't share, but something happened. And today, she is in their home right now, back in their home, living with them by a by kind of a miraculous turn of events where God reached his hand in and pulled her to safety. I just think this is the stuff we ought to thank God for, and we ought to be so grateful for all that he's doing. Hey, if, if you have a story, maybe it's a, a small story or maybe it's a big one. It doesn't matter what it is. Every little thing matters and the big stuff, we wanna celebrate it. And you could write it right there in the comments section if you have something where God has answered your prayer over these 21 days. I just think it builds faith and it encourages people all around. So let's do that together. And let's start today uh, with prayer and then we'll jump into the message, all right? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for how you are working and you're amazing how you just flow into our lives as we reach out to you, as we humble ourselves, as we pray, as we call out to you for help. You're so faithful. And we don't always see it 
come quickly, but Lord, when we see it happen, when we see your intervention, we just want to say thank you, and we want to worship you, and we want to glorify you, and we want to just grow in our faith, and so Lord, we say thank you for that. Would you, would you speak to us today as we're in this series called The Jesus Way? We, we want to live like Jesus. We want to walk like Jesus. We want to surrender to Jesus. Show us how as we share today. In Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, I think it was the late 90s, there was an incredible movie that was made about the Titanic. It was aptly named Titanic. <laughs> and the, the star was Leo DiCaprio, and he, he played a character named Jack Dawson. And I don't know if you remember the scene in the movie but there's this scene where he's out on the front of the ship after he has won this hand at poker and he won two tickets onto this ship. And he and his buddy are there and they're in the front of the boat and they're stretching out. He stretches out his hand and he says this line. If you know the line, put it right in there. Put it in the comment section. If you know the line, what is it? It became this phenomenon in the late 90s, early 2000s. If you were ever on a boat in the late 90s, early 2000s, you would go up to the front. I did it. You did it. We all did it. We walked up, and you stand on the front of the boat, and you say, I'm the king of the world. <laughs> it, was, it became a meme. It was a gif. It was all these things. It was crazy, crazy how pervasive it was in, in pop culture. And it was just, I mean, let's face it, it was kind of fun to do it. But the thing that's so interesting about that scene, the thing that's so fascinating about it, it's got a lot, a lot of tension in that scene. Because he wins a hand at poker, he wins these tickets, he gets on the boat, he's from, he's gonna, gonna be in the lower decks, he is poor, he is broke, but he gets on this ship and he thinks he has won. It is happening for him. And he says, I'm the king of the world. When in reality, he was beginning the last few days towards his demise. This is the temptation. This is the temptation that the devil lures us in with. That you can be the king of the world. When in reality, you're on a ship that's going down. And I want to talk about this today because we've been in this series for several weeks and it's been so good. We've based it on John 14, 6. And this is where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Three words, way, truth, and life. And these words have to go together. They are emphatically connected in the way of Jesus you have to embrace the way of Jesus to speak the truth of Jesus so that you can understand the life that Jesus wants for you and me. Now, people, sometimes they think you can, you can say the truth any old way you want to, but there is a way that Jesus said the truth. It was so important. And it's only when the way of Jesus is organically combined with the truth of Jesus that begins to reside in our soul, that it begins to produce the life of Jesus. 
And I think this is what we're talking about. And, and I, I think we have to wrestle with this. We want to experience the Jesus life, but we want to understand all the ways that Jesus is the way. And so we've been posing this question in all of our services over these last few weeks that we're wrestling with, and it's what does it mean to really follow Jesus? What does it mean to really follow him? To follow along with his footsteps when everything, and especially when everything is stripped away in our lives, everything that we consider normal, and we're certainly living in a time like that. And so let's look at the three temptations where we've been the last few weeks, the three temptations of Jesus in Matthew 4, 1 through 11. If you want to follow along with me in the scripture, please do so. I'm going to read it with you. Matthew 4, 1 through 11 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. (laughs) Yeah. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. A few weeks ago, we talked about this temptation and how it reduces everything to self-defined needs. And Jesus' temptation was to meet his own need. And there was was a, 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 a really important idea there about how we can't reduce everything that God is doing just to needs. Because if we do that, we'll just become consumers. And so in the second temptation, verse five says, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you were the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, which seems crazy to me. Like that's, that's kind of a nuts thing to say. He says, for it is written, the devil gets wise, right? He uses the scripture now to counter Jesus, because Jesus has just used the scripture. He says, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The devil uses uses scripture and twists it. He's quoting the Psalms here. So we talked last week about how there's a force that we tend to want to push on. We want to force people to believe or we want to force people into embracing what God is doing. And nothing could be further away from Christianity than forcing people to believe something. Christianity only happens by permission. And, and this temptation was, was the, the devil telling Jesus, why don't you force the angels, force the angels to catch you by throwing yourself down. And so we talked about how that God doesn't do things by force. He does them by permission. And that's why surrender is so important to every one of us. That it only works, the gospel of Jesus Christ only works if there is surrender in a person's heart. And so Jesus answered him and said, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse eight says again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kings of the world in the splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, he says it again, incredible how the scripture was inside of Jesus. He could respond and he could communicate when the temptation comes. That's why it's so important for you and I to be Bible readers, to be meditators on the scripture. That's why we read the daily Bible every day, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So we're gonna talk about that today. 
And then it says, then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Now, what I want you to see here is these three temptations that Jesus experienced actually clarified at the very onset, the ways in which Jesus would do his work as the Messiah. Because in this testing and tempting of Jesus, I want you to notice the devil doesn't suggest that Jesus renounce his call or turn back from where he's going. He doesn't say avoid responsibility. He doesn't tempt him to deny his baptism. He doesn't tempt him to doubt this voice from heaven. No, actually, the devil was content to leave the matter of the ends in other words, the goal, the purpose, the grand work of salvation, what, what was coming, he was content to leave the matter of ends uncontested. He wasn't going to mess with the ends. He was going to mess with the way. The devil focuses his temptings exclusively on the way, the, the ways and the means, the how. Jesus would try to accomplish the end. And I just find that really, really interesting and important for us to understand because if the devil was intent on messing up the ways of Jesus, don't doubt for a minute that he won't tempt you and me with the ways we follow him. And so we're going to look at this third temptation. Let's read it again. Matthew 4, 8, 8 and 9. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now, let's just pause here for a second. Now, it's really important that you understand the devil actually is giving, he, he, has, he has the power to give this because he's the one who had the nations of the world. At the very beginning of the scriptures and the story of the Bible, Adam and Eve give up this right as they reject God's way and they embolden and empower the devil. They give him the, the strength and the power that he, that he began to wield all throughout humanity. And so he has it to give. He says, if you will bow down and worship me, I'll give it to you. And then go to the next verse. And then it says, oh, sorry, that was it. <laughs> If you will worship me. And so the third temptation is rule the world. <laughs> Thus, I'm the king of the world. The temptation that, that the devil gives to Jesus is you can rule the world and you can rule the world now. You can rule the world right here, right now. I can give you a shortcut. It's really important for us to remember that in all three of these temptations, there was nothing about them that was outside of Jesus' ability to do it. In the first temptation, he could have turned stones to bread. The second temptation, he could have jumped off the temple and the angels would have caught him. It's, it's the same here in ruling the world. All this was in the realm of possibilities with Jesus. And what I believe is Jesus already knew that that's where he was headed. He knew he was doing something for the sake of the nations of the world. He was doing something, he had a, but he had a choice. He had a choice. Which way was he going to take? Because the essence of this temptation was to get Jesus, to get Jesus to run the world, to take charge of everything in the world. What an offer, right? What an offer. What a moment. And who's more qualified than Jesus? right? 
So here was the opportunity to jumpstart the establishment of a rule of peace and justice and prosperity. This is why Jesus came. He could establish right now and create a government that Jesus is the head of, free of corruption. But of course, it would be on the devil's terms. The devil's terms, uh, he gave him rulership, but it was conditioned by an unholy if. If you will fall down and worship me. Jesus, of course, responds with a scripture. Worship the Lord God and serve him only. Now, you have to remember that the devil wasn't offering something that he didn't own. But also, on the surface of this, on the surface of this offer, it seems very tempting to Jesus Because he could shortcut all the pain and all the suffering and all the things that were ahead for him. All the difficulty of the cross. How easy it is for us to think in terms of what is expedient. Of how we can skip some pain and struggle and go around something. That's what most temptations are all about. But as we talked about each week, the ends never justifies the means. The means are so totally important, so important. The how, the way, it's everything to Jesus. It's everything in the kingdom. How you do things matters. And so as appealing as this offer may have been to jumpstart this revolution that Jesus was about to engage in, Jesus refused his offer. He refused it. He said no. He refused the offer of doing things this way because the Jesus way, in the Jesus way, he will not impose his ways on any of us, not one of us. Jesus never imposes his ways. He invites, he forgives, he seeks the lost, he heals the hurt, he rebukes the proud, and he turns the other cheek. This is the Jesus way. Now, the contemporary antithesis of this aspect of the Jesus way, at the time of Jesus, in his day, was a man named King Herod. If we look at the context of Jesus' day, that Herod was king when Jesus was born, actually. He was the biggest name in Palestine. He was the richest man in the world. He employed more people than anyone else in the country. He, you couldn't walk out of your house without hearing the name of Herod. You couldn't walk down any road without coming near one of his incredible, massive building operations. But he was also a narcissistic monster. He was crazy. He massacred people at a whim. He routinely employed executions. And this is how we see Herod in the Bible. You may know him from the story of Jesus being born in Bethlehem and Herod himself, in Matthew 2, he hears hears the story of the prophecy of a child ruler being born in Bethlehem. And he had told the Magi, like he said, now when you find the baby, because the Magi were looking for this child that there's a prophecy about in the Old Testament, and and Herod had heard about it, and it made him kind of zero in on this thing because he was really sensitive about any power that any other authority would have. He was a piece of work 
he asked the Magi to tell him where Jesus was and when they found him so he could come and worship him. And then, of course, that wasn't his plan. The Magi actually were spoke to by the Lord in a dream, and they went another way, and they never checked back in with Herod. But Mary and Joseph, of course, they escaped to Egypt through a dream. But here's what Matthew 2.16 says. It says, when Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he learned from the Magi. This guy killed every baby boy in this village. Twice, twice when he had been away on a dangerous mission, uh, political business, he arranged with a confidant, get this, that if for any reason he failed to return, his favorite wife, check this out, his favorite wife, Miriam, was to be killed because he couldn't stand to think of anyone else having her. <laughs> this guy was a control freak. He was passionately in love with her, but he was typically Herodian in his, in his kind of love, a love that has possession and not a person. And even though he safely returned home both times, ultimately, eventually he killed her because he suspected her of infidelity. He also killed his uncle. He also killed his mother-in-law, and he killed three of his own sons because he was so worried about losing his power. But in spite of all these atrocious characteristics, think about this. Herod was an impressive leader. Like he ruled Palestine for 34 years. He had done the kingdom thing really magnificently. He, he was skillful in brokering political deals. He was shrewd in acquiring immense wealth. Like he used Greek theater and athletic contests to shape people's thinking and their values in the culture. He created incredible architecture that caused people to think that their king was all powerful and majestic. It was just incredible what he could do. He had gathered a very diverse population of Jews and Romans and pagans and Greeks and feuding sects and political parties and hammered out a, a kingdom of working unity among all these different people groups. And so here's the question. Why didn't Jesus learn from Herod? Why didn't Jesus take Herod on as his mentor in taking over the world? Why didn't Jesus take on Herod's ways? Now, it's true that Herod was not interested in God at all. But everything else was intact. Like, all Jesus had to do was adopt and adapt. Adopt some, some of the ways of Herod and adapt them adapt Herod's political style and skills, his tested principles, and put them to work under the rule of God. It's true that Herod had no morals to speak of, but Jesus was perfectly capable of supplying all of those morals out of his own sense of righteousness. The fact is that the Palestine in which Jesus was born and grew up and he called men and women to follow him in the way of life this way that is defined 
as kingdom life. In that setting, Herod was the accomplished master at fashioning a kingdom. He was good at it, thinking big, then working out the concrete details that would bring it into reality, include everyone in it. But Jesus didn't do that. He didn't choose that way. Jesus Jesus lived as if Herod never existed. Jesus ignored the world of power and accomplishment that was brilliantly on display all around him. In fact, in fact, Jesus chose to work on the margins of society with unimportant people. He worked with to give particular attention to people who were weak. He worked with the disturbed and the powerless. You have to let that sink in. You have to let that thought process really take you to to a place where you understand that Jesus was rejecting the way of building a kingdom in his day. When you think about it, even though the devil couldn't get Jesus to give in to this temptation of ruling the world the Herodian way, the devil still wants us to see Jesus in the Herodian way. In other words, maybe we can use Jesus to run our families or to run our neighborhoods, to run our schools, or maybe even our government as efficiently and properly as we can. This American way is also consumed with using power and authority. Problem is, it has, it has, this way of building a kingdom has no love or forgiveness. It, it reduces men and women to a function that they produce something because that's the only way that you can have a just and peaceful and prosperous government. I read this quote by Gandhi this week. It says, Gandhi used to talk disparagingly of dreaming of systems so perfect that no one will need to be good. Now, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Don't misunderstand because the reality is there's a lot of work to be done A lot of work to be done in the world of politics and in government. There's a lot of causes for peace and there's there's the work of justice that we need to be involved in. There's no doubt about that. Marriages and families need work, businesses and trade. But despite, despite numerous attempts, think about this, to develop utopian societies, Down through the centuries, as you see different groups of people, the human race has never been very good at taking care of these matters, of providing a way for men and women to make a living or working with each other in order for for them to accomplish common goals in a unified way, looking out for the needs of the weak and the damaged. That's never been done very well. War... War has always been the classic way of choice as you look through history. To impose our ideas of what is good on the people who we don't like or who we disapprove of. And and it still is 
the primary way. If we look back at the last century, the 20th century, you see all the kingdoms of the world led by the most advanced kingdoms economically and educationally. They outdid themselves in not getting along. Just look at World War I and World War II among all the others that were part of this process. And so here's what I want you to see. You kind of have to come to this conclusion to reject the way of the world. The facts and statistics are indisputable. The smarter we get, (laughs) the smarter we get, the more prosperous we are, the more murderous we become. And here in America, we, we can't brag. We, we can't brag too much because even though American democracy is assumed by many to be the bright, one of the bright spots in the world, in the history of the world's governments regarding human rights and, and prosperity, our American democracy is by no means unblemished. Quite to the contrary. The vision of our early political leaders that, would be a, that we would be a city on a hill showing the way for the world has long since faded. The rhetoric that we are a Christian nation is not supported by the performance of our political leaders, our business community, or even our institutions of learning. Meanwhile, every Christian has an important voice and presence in the way our country is run and the way our culture is formed. There's no doubt about this. But we are being duped by the devil if we suppose that we can speak in a language and act in a way or a style other than or counter to the ways that Jesus spoke and acted in. Jesus has a great deal to say about how we run the world. But it has very little to do with politics, financial influence, or legislative power. And please don't misunderstand me. Voting is still a privilege in our country, but it is not a necessity for following Jesus. People do it all around the world. Free speech is still a right in America, but not a necessity for kingdom life. Don't get suckered into believing that the way to life is guaranteed by a political party. And be very careful about using Jesus to get power in an election. The politics of Jesus' day, if you think about it, if you think about what happened in Jesus' day in the Roman Empire... Those politics, they really don't affect us now. Political change only lasts for a season. But the kingdom Jesus ushered into the earth has continued to influence for generations. The truth is the disciples thought Jesus was going the way of Herod. (laughs) They thought he was going to take over. That's why James and John asked if they could sit beside him when his kingdom came, that they, they, they could be way up there with him. They didn't really understand the way that Jesus would usher in the kingdom of God. You see, he values our lives too much to desoul us, to ruin our souls in order to make us good because he will not impose his ways on any of us. He invites and forgives. He seeks the lost and heals the hurt. He rebukes the proud and he turns the other cheek. This is the Jesus way. 
the final word the Bible gives us on Jesus is actually that of a triumphant ruler. A triumphant ruler. That's where he ends up in Revelation 1.5. It says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Revelation 19.16 says, he has, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is how he is described at the end of the, the Bible story because th- think about this. Think about this. This is the identical exalted position that the devil offers to Jesus. But how Jesus came to this place of ruling makes all the difference in the world. The devil's way, Herod's way, it was by force. It was by compromise. It was by corruption. But the Jesus way, in contrast, the Jesus way was by humility and by love and by laying down his life. This is the way of Jesus. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says this. It says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, the thing about this is, Something happened. Therefore, when he went, when he went low, God's the one who lifted him up. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He reaches God had always purposed for him, but he did it in a way that served all of mankind, that laid his life down. You see, Jesus was tempted to rule from a throne bureaucracy of abstract rules and like disembodied principles imposed on men and women apart from relational trust and apart from worshiping love. That was the devil's temptation to Jesus. But Jesus refused because the rule of Jesus is never impersonal, never nameless. Never impersonal, never nameless. And if you look at each of these three temptations, they had to do with the way that Jesus is the way. They had to do with the way that he will go about his work. Jesus said no to this third temptation. He gave a definitive scripture-based no where he said, worship the Lord your God. He said, away from me, Satan. He said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You and I have to figure out how to spot it when we're being tempted to use another way, when we're being tempted 
to embrace an American way that is opposite to the Jesus way. Because the devil's way is always impersonal. It is always abstract from relationships. It is always disengaged from love and imposed from the outside in. If Jesus would have taken the bait and embraced the temptation, it would have been a a way that was ripped out of the comprehensive story of salvation and therefore ripped out of participation in people's lives. Whatever the Jesus way means, bullying force and, and every political power is not part of it. The Jesus way is always exercised in personal, personal ways, connected ways. The Jesus way is never an interference pushed on others and forced into something. Jesus refuses to do good things in the wrong way. And if you and I are truly going to follow Jesus, we have to do the same thing because we can't do God's work in the devil's ways. We can't do God's work in the devil's ways. And so I think God is just wanting to shake this out of us. That's why we're working on this in this message series. And we're about to go into a next message series where we're going to get super practical about the ways of Jesus. We're going to go even deeper into the Sermon on the Mount, into the, the, the message that Jesus gave that really is his, his statement on how the kingdom works. And we're going to look closely at that over these next few weeks. We, you and I, we have to be vigilant. We have to be consistent And I want you to join with me. I want you to keep going. Just because 21 days of prayer is over, just because we're kind of moving forward into the fall, it's so important for us to keep gathering, keep being in community. You know, we've been saying it for weeks. Find about 10 other people and gather with them, share a meal, whatever whatever people you're comfortable with. Share a meal, read a scripture, read a passage in the Bible, talk about, we're recommending the Gospels, Matthew is where we're starting, and then you just pray for each other, talk about it, and then ask, how can we really follow Jesus? This is what we're doing for the fall. This is where we're headed. And so I want you to take advantage of, and if you need to do groups on Zoom, do it. If you need to do uh, Facebook as a group, great. If you need to do FaceTime, whatever it takes, don't be alone. Don't be isolated. Let's work together. Let's pray as we close here. Father, help us to see these ways that are so tempting. Shortcuts, forcefulness, all kinds of power that we could opt for instead of the servanthood way of Jesus, instead of the humble way of Jesus, instead of the personal way of Jesus. Lord, forgive us for choosing these other ways. Help us to spot them in our daily lives. Help us to spot them in the way we see even our own faith. Help us never to use Jesus. Forgive us for doing that. Lord, we want to surrender our lives to you. We want to yield in every way. Would you come and take us today and move us forward? Move us toward you and where you want us to be. We thank you for this. Help each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.